This is a Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. This is going to be a uh, I don't know how exactly to put it, but it's it's a it's a re-recording of an episode, a topic actually, um, of a it's a re-recording of a topic I did yesterday, um, and the. The topic is the fundamentals of being true Catholic. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen. All that I am, all that I have, 
all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. Amen. Okay, so it's it's been about 12 hours. Um, probably a little over 12 hours. But yesterday, I did a massive random thoughts that ran um, around an hour and 40 minutes. I think it's, it is the longest episode that I've done in uh, a year of doing my podcast. And... Um, when I got done with the random thoughts, because I had, I had two topics on tap, when I got done with the random thoughts, my first, what our, what our, what our Lord and our blessed mother put into me was stop here do the other topic in the morning. Instead, I decided to press the issue. And um, so I I I did I did this this topic yesterday right after the random thoughts. And then this morning I was doing some spiritual reading. Oh, one other thing I want to get get out there. When I got done with yesterday's or today's topic, when I got done with today's topic yesterday, I, I was not pleased. I was not pleased at all with the result. And I knew implicitly that I had done a horrible job on it. But I went ahead and put it in the can anyway. This was yesterday. Um, so anyway, this morning when I was doing my spiritual reading, um, not probably that any of you would be interested, I was reading St. Alphonsus Liguri. And as I said, when I put... Today's topic in the can. Yesterday, I was thinking to myself, this ain't right. I was doing uh, reading St. Alphonsus Liguri, and the things that I should have had in yesterday's version of this topic, I realized I had left out. And honestly speaking, yesterday's episode came out as more of a rant. Or it got kind of ranty. And I tried to avoid that on my episodes. So. The moment I started. I started reading St. Alphonsus Liguri. And I realized that there, there were several. Um, bullet points. Or points that I should have had in yesterday's episode. I was like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to delete the original episode. 
the only reason I'm I'm doing this um, introduction is since it's been 12 hours and since this isn't directly, you know, this this doesn't just hit the United States, it hits worldwide. I decided to um, give this, it may seem kind of an autistic uh, introduction, but I felt it needed to be made because I'm sure that when I put out yesterday's episode that some people overseas who may be 8 to 12 hours ahead of me, you know, they've already consumed the content. Now, as far as the people in the States go, um, I think it's a pretty safe bet because I didn't put the episodes in the can until pretty late in the evening that not as many people who listen to me in the States, if they listen at all, have heard the original episode. But in case they have, I wanted to explain why um, I'm doing a retake anyhow. So yesterday's topic was the fundamentals of being true Catholic. As I said, it got ranty. Um, I repeated the same um, criticisms of Sedvacantis that I normally do. Um, that that is not germane to this topic. Repeating my criticisms of my co-religionist, it was not germane to the topic, is not germane to this topic. So this time I'm going to try to, Lord willing, I'll be more focused and Lord willing, I will cover the essentials. Because when I originally got this topic, when the Lord, when our Lord and his blessed mother gave me this topic, some of it, if I have regular listeners, is going to be old hat. But some of it is stuff that had never occurred to me before. Anyhow, so number one. One of the fundamentals of being true Catholic is it is a privilege to be true Catholic. And anything that is a privilege, not only should we be grateful for, but um, I guess that's, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good enough uh, point here. Anytime you are granted a privilege, thank you, Mother Mary and Lord Jesus. One other thing, when somebody grants you a privilege, I don't care if it's God, I don't care if it's a blessed mother, and even on a secular level, let's just say your boss gives you a raise or your wife does something special for you or... If you're a younger type, your parents or one of your older relatives does something for you. It's a privilege. And you should be truly grateful for the privilege. And you shouldn't expect um, 
you shouldn't expect um, privileges just to be granted to you for whatever reason you think you deserve a privilege. Um, and you should also realize when you're granted a privilege, privileges can be re revoked and you have to be because I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the spiritual idea. When our Lord and our Lady grant you a privilege, you need to be worthy of it, or you at least need. Let me go back because I don't want this to get twisted. You should be attempting to be worthy of the privilege, because obviously, true Catholic dogma teaches that. We're not worthy at all. And in my experience, just speaking for myself, the privileges I grant are granted, I'm not worthy of at all. And I suspect anyone who's being honest with themselves probably feels the same way. The reason I moved it back to the spiritual is because human beings being flawed with original sin, they don't, um, sometimes they will grant privileges to, to people that um, are literally undeserved, you know. Let's, let's just take a look at the people who are in power right now. Um, they definitely don't deserve the privileges and rights they've been given. However, however, um, it is a matter of Catholic dogma that even people who are out and out enemies of God, and you don't have to like this, um, the men, the the Masons, the Masons are out and out enemies of God, but a lot of them have been given power and privileges, obviously undeserved. Um, they, you know, they they wouldn't be where they're at without God's permission. And that goes back to the um, biblical teaching of the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So in other words, there are some good pious Catholics um, who, you know, they, they have things rough. There are um, sinners who have things rough. And obviously... The opposite is true. There are good, pious Catholics who have a decent life. And there are the enemies of God who have undeserved privileges. By the way, for a, uh, for a good example of that concept, I believe it's in St. Matthew uh, the Gospel according to St. Matthew. It's the parable of uh, 
Jesus's parable to, I believe it was the Pharisees, about Lazarus. And no, I'm not talking about Lazarus of Martha and Mary. I'm talking about he did a parable about a poor beggar named Lazarus. Anyway, you can look it up. So, one of the fundamentals of true Catholicism, it is literally a privilege. It is literally a privilege. And one of the concepts about a privilege is you don't take a privilege for granted. You don't take a privilege for granted. Because as I said when I started this point, a privilege can be revoked. A privilege is exactly what I just said it is. It's been un, undeserved favor being given to you. Therefore, the person who invokes the privilege upon you, they have the power to give you the privilege and they have the power to take it back. Obviously, especially if it's God. So, you don't want to take the privilege for granted. Um, in yesterday's episode, I got ranty about some of the set of contests, not everybody, who I have seen online who actually were born in the set of contest families and by their blatant behavior on the internet, I could tell that they were taking it for granted. And I got ranty about that. But, and it's true, you know, I have bumped into people who were born in a set of the contest families who do act like, you know, it's a given. Before I get on with, to the rest of the point, I want to point out to you people, nothing that God gives you is a given. Nothing. There are two givens in, in your earthly existence. Number oh, three, uh, actually. Number one, you are born. Number two, you are die. And number three, you will be judged. Those are the only three givens you are given while you're on this earth. Everything else is up to our Lord and his blessed mother. And if you don't get that through your thick skulls, you're either going to have a miserable existence while you're on earth or you're going to get a very unpleasant surprise when you go for your judgment. Anyway, so to get back to what I was talking about, I've also met people like myself. Or I shouldn't say that. I've, I've seen the same kind of behavior from people who came from the same situation that I've come from. They were complete and utter pagans. Whatever path they took, they came to set of a contism. And I've run into the, the same attitude in the sense that they, it appears to me that they take 
the fact that they have been given the true faith for granted. Now I want to stress people being people. I'm not saying it's everybody and it depends on the individual. But I have seen that kind of mindset. And, and furthermore, furthermore, being a true Catholic and, and part of the um, fundamentals of being a true Catholic, it's a mindset. It's more than just a theology. It's more than just a... Um, it's, it's, it's more than God's truth. I mean, it being God's truth is the bottom line, no doubt. But I'm saying that it's also a mindset. It is a very, very... um. Mm, I'm going to leave it at that. It's a mindset. And like all things spiritual, you know, I'm hoping and praying somebody get, gets this concept, that, you know, at least dimly. Everything in, 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 in your earthly life is a dim imitation of, of, of the spiritual, the spiritual world, the spiritual life. So, everything that you do in the world is a mindset. Um, now, obviously, when people write books about changing your mindset, or they give lectures, or they do YouTube videos... They're, they're talking about a literal uh, spiritual truth, but because they're coming at it from a mind, uh, oh, uh, an earthly or a natural mindset, the, the idea gets corrupted, like all things that have to pass through human beings who are not united with God. It gets corrupted. You know, that, that is a spiritual principle, by the way. It, you know, that is why if a person is trying to be pious and devout, um, St. Pope Pius, or I'm sorry, St. Pope Clement I, who was the third uh, Pope of Rome, or actually of the Catholic Church, he advised, you know, his fellow Catholics, he said, follow the saints. You want to be pious and devout, follow the saints. Because the saints, they're so purified and so removed from the taint of original sin that you can pretty much take it to the bank that if a saint said it, that it is definitely something that you at least should attempt. Whereas 
you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I'd be the first to tell you everything that I talk about on both of my podcasts, they're orthodox. However, because I'm a failed, flawed human being, because I haven't, you know, I'm not a saint, um, what I'm talking about is tainted with um, my sins and my flaws and my failings. Okay? So there may be some mistakes, there may be some errors, and I, you know, I ain't gonna lie. Um, my approach is on some of my episodes and my um, mindset on some of the episodes um, are not what they should be. Now, before my critics, you know, um, start throwing a party, I'm going to tell you, and once again, this is also a worldly concept, and I've had to tell people this in the past before I became true Catholic. Just because the, the source, um, you know, the, the source is less than perfect, for lack of a better term, does not take the legitimacy out of the source. I will give a personal example. I knew a dude when I was in my early 20s. We, uh, we lived in the same boarding house. And if I'm remembering correctly, he had, he had almost graduated from college. Um, he dropped out, in, I want to say like his junior year of college. And he was very arrogant about it. He's very arrogant about it. He thought he was the font of all wisdom. And he, you know, he, we had a mutual friend. So I normally a guy like that, I try to avoid And at that time, I didn't try to avoid him because um, I knew I was going to be rude or whatever, because I would have been, or I was actually. I avoided him because he annoyed me so bad. There were times where I was going to, if if we didn't have the mutual friend, I, I would have absolutely beat him to a pulp and not thought twice about it. He was that annoying. Anyhow. But he would, he, he, he was arrogant, I mean, to the extreme. And, you know, and here, here's what made it worse. I was about 10 years younger than he was. Um, I had just gotten out of the military, so I wasn't a doughboy. And... My mindset is, is the complete 180 of what it is now. And, but yet he was so arrogant, it never even entered into his head 
that if he pushed me too far, I might pound him. It never even entered into his head. Anyhow, so, um, he, he, he used to talk down to me. And one day I told him, I said, hey man, I said, oh, I know what it was. We, we, were, we were arguing over uh, the Korean War. And at that time, I was, you know, because I, I would take a subject and then check out like five books from the library and read all five books. You know, he was arguing over a point that I had just got done reading. I had just got done reading. And he's like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. So I went out and I got the book. And like I said, I had just got done reading it. So I went to the passage. I just got done reading, which contradicted the 300 IQ guy. And I showed it to him. I just like... Wow, you were right. I looked at him and said, yeah, I am. I said, maybe you shouldn't um, dismiss the source just because you think that they're a moron. And obviously, him being who he was, it didn't make an impression upon him. But for those of you who are all wrapped up and what the internet calls um, appeals to authority. You know, all oh, they have to have a degree, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, would, I would advise you very strongly, drop that, that mindset. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. I've had people that most people would consider, well, I ain't going to lie, losers, um, losers, rejects, pick your, pick your insult, who have said very, very wise things, and in some cases, very profound things. Now, when I talked to these people, I didn't have the mindset of, oh, they're a loser, they're a reject. Because I take people as people. And I've, I've, I've met people who, quote, unquote, were successful. You know, some were college professors. Some were, owned their own businesses. Um, you know, in the eyes of the, of the world, these guys are, you know, the epitome of success. But because, and you got to remember too, Talking pre-Christianity. If a person had a degree or they owned their own business or, you know, they had a, a family or whatever, that never impressed me. What always impressed me was their attitude. You know, their attitude. And if they had the wrong attitude, I don't care if they were a multimillionaire. I, I had no time for him. Anyway, I took a long, yeah, way long. I took a long time to get to, um, 
to explain the concept of attitude. Being a true Catholic is, it's a mindset and it's a way of life. And this was one of the things I was talking about earlier. Because the majority of the Saint, um, of both my podcasts, starting with the Saint Longinus's Baptism podcast, I'm I more talk about the spiritual life being a way of life, and it is a way of life, and being true Catholic is a way of life. As of today, I'm not sure if I've ever touched upon the fact that um, being a true Catholic is also an attitude. It's a mindset. And by the way, you can you could use the terms mindset or attitude. To me, they're one and the same. But it's a mindset. So I just wanted to go over what I consider the fundamentals of the mindset. One of which is it's a privilege to be true Catholic. It is literally a privilege. Because, you know, I I hit on this on yesterday's Random Thoughts. Set of a contest are a minority with, you know, they would literally be less than 0.001% of the world's population. Less than. And so this is why we shouldn't take it for granted or on the other extreme, be arrogant about it. Because, and to me, the concept is as clear as bathwater. Um, if we are less than 0.001% of the the population of the earth, then we have been granted an extreme privilege. And to me, that seems to be clear, but given, and by the way, like I said, I'm not saying every set of a contest is like this, but Judging by what I'm seeing from a certain segment of the Sedvacantis online, um, I don't think that they get the idea. I don't think that the thought has ever occurred to them. So anyway, part of the mindset of being true Catholic is is you're neither arrogant nor take for granted anything uh, either spiritually or in the secular realm that's a gift or a privilege. 
Oh, and I forgot to say, a little late, but that's okay. Um, this episode may also run a little long. So, um, I know we're at the 30 minute mark. I'm sorry, guys, I forgot. Um, if, if you, uh, if this runs over an hour and you need to break it up into chunks, I'll put, I'll put the notes in the show note to, to break it up into chunks, but go ahead and break it up into chunks. Um, as a, um, I, I kind of feel like this episode is a very important concept and if you feel that this is, uh, what's the word I want to use, uh, beneficial, this is a beneficial topic, um, break it up into chunks because what I'm going to be talking about here, I, I ain't going to lie, I think it's going to help you. I mean, uh, by the way, as long as I'm saying this, I'm going to make it clear. I'm not claiming to be an expert and I'm definitely not claiming to be perfect in these, in these fundamentals. But as, as long as you're trying to get better in the fundamentals, I think you'll be on the right path. Or at least in my case, it's helping me. Anyhow, so... Along with privileges, privileges come with responsibilities slash duties. Now, in yesterday's episode, I used the word duties. Um, we have a, uh, we have a, uh, expression in the states you can take the uh man out of the military but you can't take the military out of the man obviously it's a broad generalization it's not necessarily true in all cases but like any other cliche it does have a basis of truth i joined the military as a teenager and it was a formative, you know, what they call a formative experience. So, um, if you're a long-time listener, you know, this, I'm not telling you anything that you probably don't already know. But if you're new, um, given my personality type, when I was in the military... Um, a lot of the, uh, good concepts that they taught me, I tried to internalize. So, and one of the, obviously being in the military, one of the concepts they, they, well, if the, if your officers and NCOs are worth, are worth, uh, a dang, uh, they will try to teach you that, um, being in the military is a privilege, and with that privilege comes duties and responsibilities. Anyhow, so with, with any privilege comes responsibilities. 
And part of the responsibility is, oh, I'm sorry. So being true Catholic comes with responsibilities. To make a point as simple as I can, your responsibilities are outlined in the catechism. They're outlined in the catechism. And if you're not, the catechism is more than just a book or books of um, of doctrine. Your, your catechism is actually, or in the case of the Baltimore Catechism, books are also bullet-pointed uh, lit enumerations or lists sorry guys um, of your responsibilities and it's also a mindset it you know and a lot of set of contests get this twisted and it just uses this book of apologetics to beat the Vatican II sect and Protestants over the head with If and here's another key point that I, I can't stress enough, and I learned this from Father Bernard Utley. He's not my priest, but anybody who's a longtime listener knows that um he gave a series of talks. But our Bible, our catechism, and the saints' writings are more than apologetics to to be people over the head with to tell them that they're living in air. They're also apologetics to ourselves on how we're supposed to live. And it doesn't get any more simpler than that, guys. It doesn't. If you're using the catechism as apologetics to other people but not yourself, you're in the wrong mindset. That's as simple as it gets. You're not, you know, how can the blind lead the blind? If you're not, if you're not, if you do not have the proper mindset in anything, I don't care if it's spiritual or secular, if you're not using, or I'm sorry, if you don't have the proper mindset when you're doing these things or in anything, you're literally the blind leading the blind. Now, part of the re, um, part of the purpose of uh, it, it, I'm gonna kind of stay with the catechism on this one. Part of the purpose of the catechism is to tell us the things that we need to understand. And kind of give us an idea or the minds, uh, well, it gives us the understanding of what we need to know, not, you know, um, about ourselves in order that we may become the Catholics that our Lord and his blessed mother want us to be. Now, part of what some uh, set of accountants or slash true Catholics have correct is 
the fact that um, having this understanding is important. Where they miss the boat, however, or what I would argue is, is that if you're not, if you're telling other people and by the way, everything I'm talking about here is, is stuff that I've pounded ad nauseum throughout both podcast channels. But if, if you're not, if, you, if you're telling other people, well, the, these are the understandings you need to have to be a real Christian. And once again, because the term Christian has been corrupted and twisted to suit other people's needs. You're no better than a Pharisee if you're not living it. But I'm I'm going to move on from that. That's that's where yesterday's episode got a little twisted. It, 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 instead of being a dispassionate uh, discourse. It, it, it turned into a mini rant, and it shouldn't have. So, my apologies. Anyhow, part of the fundamentals of being a true Catholic are discipline. Now, like anything else um, in the natural realm is... Discipline. And, but discipline is important, especially important. That is why if you read the Catechism or the Saints' writings, they stress the fact that you have to discipline... And this goes back to my earlier episode about the three aspects of the human being, the the soul, the mind, and the body. Um, They will, they stress to you, and this is more along, this is stressed more along the lines of the saints' writings and the spiritual writers. You have to discipline those aspects of your being. You have to discipline your soul, and I'm going to get to that part, and you have to discipline your mind, and you have to discipline your body. And once again, this goes back to the mil- um, the natural aspects of the military, because that's what if you anybody who's ever done any military service tell you, that they teach you discipline. And because nowadays military service is optional, um, a lot of people live very undisciplined lives. Their thinking is undisciplined. Their soul, if they're trying to be um true Catholics is undisciplined and their body is undisciplined. Um, 
in the natural realm, the concept is undisciplined of, 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 of. I'm sorry, let me go back. When it comes to the body, the concept of discipline has been twisted. I, I've always talked about how, uh, before I decided to become true Catholic, how the based in red pill YouTubers used to tell their audience, hey, you need to lose weight, um, uh, quit the junk food, uh, lift weights, blah, 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 blah. Now, the concepts in and of themselves are good concepts as far as discipline goes, but because it's coming from a natural perspective, they're missing the point. You don't need to be jacked. And when I say jacked, I mean muscular and all that. If you're a guy, to be disciplined. And once again, I'm going to get to the aspect of um, of disciplining your body. But in the case of being a true Catholic, as far as the body is concerned, we want to discipline our body so that we're not eating just because we want to eat. We're not um, overindulging in alcohol because we feel like getting drunk. We're not... Um, saying whatever we want to say. We're disciplined. You know, if somebody wants to, um, gets mad at somebody who's annoying them, if you're trying to be a true Catholic, you don't spaz out on them and tell them that they're a loser and shut up. Part of discipline is learning. People are people. And a lot of people, what they do, they do out of ignorance. And they don't know better. So... We keep that to ourselves and we remember that we ourselves are, you know, as far as God's concerned, no better than the person who doesn't know what they're doing. And in addition to that, because we have the truth, I'm talking about true Catholics, of course, we're held to a higher standard. And this goes back to being in the military. A buck private, you know, a guy with one stripe on his sleeve is held to a lesser, a lesser example than, say, a sergeant, a lieutenant, a captain, a colonel, or a general. Because, um, you know, a, a, a private is a private. If you're a sergeant because you um, be, be, because you have more responsibility, you are held to a higher standard. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's another thing too. That um, 
with privileges come and and having privileges and responsibilities um part of responsibility is is um depending on what um what true catholic teaching or catechisms teach is depending on your state in life you have a certain set of responsibilities obviously a married couple are going to have more responsibilities than say a single person being a priest is going to have more responsibilities than being a lay person and i can't stress this enough to you said of a contest who holds your priests and prelates on a pedestal being a prelate has more responsibilities a higher responsibility to set the example for his priest and his lay people so if you're if you're prelate is um if you're prelate maybe theologically your prelate may or may not be very very orthodox and very very correct however However, if he's setting a bad personal example in public, not privately, publicly, they're wrong. They're wrong. And part of our responsibilities and I'm talking about lay people I'm not I'm not you know is if we see a priest or a prelate who's behaving badly it is our responsibility to point out you know I I'm I'm not saying you go to the bishop and you get in their face I talked about that in a previous episode. I'm just not sure which one, but you don't do that. But you could go to your priest if it if it's a prelate, and um, part of the concept of the military is chain of command. If your sergeant's acting like an a hole, you don't get in the sergeant's face and pick a fight with him. You let his superior know. So in the case of a prelate, you let your priest know, hey, um, bishop so-and-so has, has done this. I just, you know, I, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to tell anyone how, uh, what they should do. I'm letting you know, though, that they're giving a bad example. And if it's your priest, then you go to your prelate, your, your bishop. But, And, and that's part of the concept of the natural world at present time is because we don't hold, um, there's, there's no concept of responsibility in today's culture and society. Um, a lot of the people in positions of power 
they're they're literal Pharisees. Uh, we have an expression in America: "Do as I say, not as I do." And whether we like it or not, people internalize the concept, and it's a very bad concept, I might add. So, in the natural realm, when we have, in the case of America, uh, Congress people, mayors, um, county council members, representatives, senators, or presidents, especially presidents, literally breaking the Constitution, which is supposed to be the guiding principles of every elected official, so-called, then when they do this and they don't get punished, people internalize that and they, okay, well, you know, our, our, our president committed perjury to a grand jury but didn't get punished. So if a priest or a prelate behaves badly, and when I say behaves badly, I'm not saying it's acting heretically. I'm saying they give a bad example, they cause scandal, or they're teaching a heresy, error. And we say, well, they're a prelate. They're a prelate. I can't question that. That is... That is a fast way to destroy any organization. Because there is an expression in the world that a fish rots from the head down. Meaning that if your leaders are acting like scum, then the people who are honestly... Um, following them, honestly and sincerely following them, think that, well, it must be okay because, you know, Bishop or Father so-and-so, is he's a very orthodox guy. Um, you know, who am I, who am I, to, to say anything. I'm just Joe Pewarmer here. I'm just Joe Layman. I can't say anything. Part of the fundamentals of being a true Catholic is, and this also applies in the natural realm or the secular realm, of um, accountability. It's accountability. There, there's no accountability nowadays. Yes, yes, you younger types, I know. I sound like a cranky old man. What can I say? I was a cranky old man at 12. Anyhow, so if there's no accountability within the leadership, there's going to be no accountability amongst the laity. And once again, having to rehash old news that's how you guys that's how we got Vatican II that is literally how we got Vatican II because 
the priests and the prelates weren't holding their fellow priests and prelates to account. And that's how you got Vatican II. Because you had corrupted uh, Masonic priests and prelates who were spreading air, or they might not have even been Masonic, they might have been just well-intentioned, well-meaning, but erroneous priests and prelates, and their fellow priests and prelates, well, that's Bishop so-and-so, that's Father so he's a great guy, man. He's, he's just mistaken. We really shouldn't say anything to him because he's, he's a nice guy and, you know, out of charity. I'm telling you, that's how we got Vatican II. That's how we got in this mess. And unfortunately, in present day, that's what a lot of Sedvacantists, they're repeating the errors of the pre-Vatican II church. You know, I talk about how Bishop Sanborn said, and he did, because uh, a uh, priest from St. Gertrude the Great, um, for those of you who don't know, St. Gertrude the Great was Father Dolan's church, I'm sorry, Bishop Dolan's church, pointed out the very same, uh, the very same thing that I've always talked about, where Bishop Sanborn has said that the, the reason that the Catholic Church got the Reformation was because that was God's divine punishment against the Catholic Church for the lukewarmness of its laity, its priests, its prelates, and even some of the popes. Now, when I say this, for you Vatican II types out there, I'm not saying that the popes were heretics. They were just lukewarm and they were worldly. That is not a heresy. That is a sin. There is a difference. So, um, and for you Vatican II types, just a word of advice. Before you start criticizing Sedvacantis, my suggestion is learn the difference between a sinful pope and a heretical pope. And the reason I'm giving you my two cents here is, if you're able to get the concept, you know, truthfully, you will understand why the sinful popes are not the same as the Vatican II popes. Just real fast. In the case of the sinful Renaissance popes, um, they, in, in their private lives, they were very sinful. But in their, in their teachings, they were orthodox. Now, am I saying that a sinful pope or prelate or priest should not be corrected by his fellows if he's, you know, he may be orthodox, but he's, you know, causing scandal with his behavior? No, I'm not saying that. But the difference 
between the Renaissance popes and the popes, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the pretend popes and prelates of the Vatican II sect are, these guys are teaching literal heresy, but as it said in Saint, one of St. Paul's epistles, I wish I could remember which epistle, he talks about they have a form of godliness but deny its power. What he's talking about there is, let's just take Mr. Watia, or to you Vatican II types, Pope John Paul II. I put the, vote, the Pope title in inverted commas. He's not an actual Pope, but he gave every public indication that he was a very uh, pious and devout guy. But... Here's where denying the power part of St. Paul's epistle comes in. Because he was a heretic, you know, he was, he was talking up to the hilt, our blessed mother, talking about the rosary, blah, 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 blah. And just to point out to you, Vatican II types, of course, number one, even though he was doing all those things and he was a heretic, there's two aspects to this. The first part is, if you're teaching heresy, you're denying our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God. So that's what St. Paul's talking about when he says denying its power. Denying its power. You're, you're, you're denying God. But secondly, even... Even when he was misleading the Vatican II types into thinking he was pious, he was still teaching heresy. What do I mean by this? He added a fourth mystery, the most holy rosary. Okay? The mysteries of the most holy rosary are the capital T traditions of the Catholic Church, the true Catholic Church. He had no power to do that. And then, in addition to doing that, he um, added to the Vatican II uh, fake Catholic sect the heretical devotion of the divine mercy. Now, for you Vatican II types who think I'm pulling this out of my butt, go back before the Vatican II Council and see, and see if what I'm saying is not true. Prior, prior to... Mr. Watia giving uh, uh, giving the Vatican II sect the divine mercy devotion. See if you hear anything prior to the Vatican II Council about that devotion. Now there's a whole thing about that, and I've covered it ad nauseum on my heirs of the Vatican II sect. So nothing I'm saying here I haven't said before and hasn't been criticized, you know, by other people, in case you don't want to take my word for it, by other people. Anyhow, but 
Um, part of the fundamentals of being a true Catholic is, is accountability, not just of the leadership, mind you, but of the lay people too. If you have a fellow lay person who is doing something either heretical or at best causing scandal, we are to hold them accountable. Everybody, see, a, a lot of people get this concept twisted. They think that, well, uh, we're accountable before God. If you're true Catholic, you're not just accountable toward God. You're accountable to your priest, your prelate, and your fellow true Catholics. Um, and by the way, just a quick, quick point. I don't want anybody, and I'm talking about seven contests, of course, to try to... Because they got, they get angry about my approach to tell me that I'm causing scandal. Causing, you know, just because you might not like the fact that I get ranty on occasion does not mean I'm causing scandal. I'm talking about when I say causing scandal. Let's just say that um, a podcaster, or for that matter, just it doesn't even necessarily need to be a public set of a contest. It could be somebody within your own church who uh, goes to a bar and gets drunk and has a bar fight. That's causing scandal. Having an approach that you find either discomforting or, um, in your mind, uh, rude, it, that's not causing scandal. That is not causing scandal. If what they're saying is the truth. And that's the key. If what they're saying is the truth, that's not causing scandal. You might not like the way they said it or how they said it, if it's the truth, it's the truth. Now, I'm going to do one of the fundamentals that I can think of right now, and I'll see where this takes me. Um, if I don't get any more fundamentals of being a true Catholic after this point, um, then I'll close out. Remember how I talked earlier about um, discipline. Discipline. And I remember I talked about how the, the natural mindset thinks that discipline is within the body. 
Um, once again, I'm going to point out that it's not just the body because there are three aspects of the human person, the soul, the mind, and the body. So in addition to the body being disciplined, we have to discipline our soul and our mind. Now, when it comes to the mind, we discipline our mind by not allowing anything inside of our mind, which is not a Catholic principle to affect the way we think. Once again, going back to our catechism, the catechism teaches that we are not, we are not to, to consume anything that is not true Catholic. Okay, so we're, as Catholics, we are to discipline our mind by only consuming true Catholic material. And as far as the soul goes, there is a concept in Catholic dogma and spiritual teachings about your passions being ordered. What do I mean by this? It's very simple. That means disciplining the things that are the opposite of the seven virtues. In a previous episode, I talked about the seven deadly sins. I talked about the seven deadly sins. And the seven deadly sins are pride, covetousness, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. And on the opposite end, at least in my prayer book, are the seven virtues. Humility, which is the opposite of pride. Liberality or generosity, from covetousness, um, chastity as opposed to lust, meekness as opposed to anger, gluttony, I'm sorry, um, temperance as opposed to gluttony. And all temperance means is, is what I talked about um, earlier. Not, not eating just because you feel like eating. Or eating to excess. Brotherly love, which is the opposite of envy. All brotherly love means is um, loving your neighbor as you love God. And diligence as opposed to sloth slash laziness. So if you're practicing the seven um, virtues, uh, I, I think that they're called, uh, I, I don't remember the title, but these are the seven virtues as opposed to the seven deadly sins. 
That is ordering your passion. Passions. Now, within the seven sacraments, that is or also ordering your passion. Now, because I didn't get the section of the catechism handy with me for today's talk, I can't talk about how ordering your passions fits in to the seven sacraments. However, for the sake of this talk, I'm going to take one particular sacrament in particular. And I, I touched on it er, uh, in an earlier episode, and that's marriage. Okay? And with the seven sacraments, it ties in also to your states and duties to which you're called. Some people are called the marriage. Other people are called the single life. But even if you're called the marriage, once again, true Cath uh, being a true Catholic, does not mean that you have license to do whatever you want within your state of life. And this is why I'm picking marriage. Because in my previous episode, I talked about how a lot of people who um, get married um, they use it as an excuse you know just like getting baptized and confirmed well I'm married I, I'm good to go I get to do what I want to and that's not how it works whatever state of life works we're called to comes with within its own self rights and duty. I'm sorry, duties and um, responsibilities. So if you're just getting married because you have a lot of uh, let's just be Catholic here and call it what it is, lust, and you figure to yourself, well, I can't do my lust and be a good Catholic by, by having sex outside of marriage. Therefore, I'm going to marry the first person, whether Catholic or not, that comes along and then just unleash my lust on them. That's not how it works. And everything that I'm talking about fits into the to divine will, the will of God. Number one, it is a clear teaching within the true Catholic religion that number one, we do not marry non-Catholics. We do not marry non-Catholics. Okay, now I've heard people make the argument that, well, you know, the world being the way it is, there's not many true Catholics and the, 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 the true Catholics that are out there are usually married. Well, 
That is true in the natural sense. But number one, just because they're married does not mean that that's God's will. Because human beings being human beings, we can step outside of God's will because we have free will. But number two, and number two, and I can't stress this enough, I've heard these same Catholics argue, well, before you get married, find somebody and sleep with them first and find out if you're compatible. Once again, going back to myself, I fell into that trap when I was a pagan. And honestly speaking, um, I didn't want to get married. I just wanted to sleep around. And I can tell you from a natural and a spiritual, well, from a spiritual viewpoint, it's sinful. But from a natural standpoint, it's a bad idea. Because anybody who knows um, and I, I'm, I'm speaking from a natural viewpoint, female, because I'm a guy, obviously I can't speak from a female perspective, but anybody from a natural perspective who's a guy will tell you, once you sleep with a female, and I'm not making a broad brush, different females, you know, different people, but as a general rule, when you sleep with a female, they take that seriously. If they allow you to sleep with them, then they expect that you're going to stay with them. Once again, I'm not saying that this is a hard and fast rule. It's a generality. It's, it's a uh, cliche. But as I said before, with, you know, cliches, there's the basis of truth in that. So, on a natural sense, if you're, if you're, if you're sleeping with the first female that'll let you, and you have multiple girlfriends, and I've seen that in real life, um, there are very, very few guys who can pull off the harem routine. What I'm talking about is, I'm sure not every guy that is going to listen to this, but some guys are going to, they're, they're going to know from personal experience that there are certain guys who literally have a harem of females that they bounce around to. And they keep these women on a string and they, they sleep with, you know, let's say on Tuesday they want to sleep with Amy. On uh, Wednesday they want to sleep with Connie. On Thursday they want to sleep with Jane. On Friday they want to sleep with Rosanna. Very few guys have pulled that off. Most of the time when an average guy tries that routine, it blows up in his face and very badly. But to get back to my original point, um, 
I've heard people and pe- the, the, uh, these these are fellow Southern conscious saying, "Well, sleep with the girl first, find out if she's compatible, and then marry her." And then the point came up as, well, two points came up. Number one, and they're they're actually teachings of true Catholicism. We're not supposed to do that. And then the second point was, we're not supposed to marry non-Catholics. And here's where we get to the concept of of being a um, a jailhouse lawyer. For those of you outside the United States, a jailhouse lawyer is a convict who's been locked in prison, who's trying to find a loophole in the legal system and trying to get out of prison. Long and short of it. And they're literally playing jailhouse lawyer with God. Well, I, yeah, I did sleep with her, but I married her. So we're good. I confessed. I confessed. We're good. I would advise against that. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, the same thing goes with the non-Catholic. Okay, I married the non-Catholic, but... Um, I turned her Catholic, so we're good. Once again, the bottom line is, take it for what it's worth, I would not play jailhouse lawyer with God. That's not taking God, in my mind, This that's not taking God seriously. That's taking him as an abstraction. God gave us our set of standards. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a catechism. If the catechism says, number one, we don't have premarital sex, it's a sin. And number two, we don't marry non-Catholics, it's a sin. Those are the rules. Now, I know that there's a criticism about this mindset that, well, that's black and white. That's Protestantism, blah, 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 blah. Um, what I would say to that is, is God knows us better than we do ourselves. So if we do fall into sin... He's merciful. He's merciful. So, he, and once again, he's God. So he, he knows us on a subatomic level. If we make an honest sin, uh, uh, a mistaken sin, yeah, he ain't gonna, you know, he ain't gonna slam us for making a well-intentioned, honest sin. However, if we sin... Thinking, thinking, well, you know, I know that the rules say this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because, you know, I've, I've got this lust thing going on and I need to take care of it. And I'm going to go back to the confession or the 
examination of conscience. Because there's a particular question in this examination of conscience that I have that I feel needs to be said. Here it is. This is the key question. Have you rashly presumed upon God's forbearance in order to commit sin? If you want, well, let me just go ahead and explain what that question is about. What that, what that question is asking is, are you purposely committing a sin with the attitude of, well, God's loving and merciful. I know it's a sin, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because he'll forgive me. There's a difference between that and making an honest sin out of um, ignorance or you honestly thought you, you didn't know. You didn't know and your intentions were good. And um, as far as you knew, your um, you, you were doing the right thing. That There's a huge difference in that. And by the way, another disclaimer, I'm not claiming that I haven't done the same thing myself. I'm just saying that on a personal level, um, you should, it's not a good idea to purposely sin with the thought in the back of your mind, well, God knows me better than I know myself, so he's going to forgive me. That's called tempting God. That's why Jesus when Satan took him to the top of the temple, quoted that passage of the Old, temp, uh, the Old Testament, do not tempt the Lord your God. Because Satan told him, well, jump off the temple, the angels will save you. Now, obviously, getting married to a non-Catholic or having premarital sex is not the same as jumping off the highest part of whatever building you live in. But the concept itself is the same because you're purposely committing a sin with the misapprehension or what could be a misapprehension of, well, God's going to forgive me. I'm going to go ahead and do it because God's going to forgive me. Anyway, I did go, well, no, I didn't. I mean, this is necessary. So to finish the point about matrimony, matrimony is a privilege. It's not a right. Oh, and that's another thing too. Privileges are not rights. When you take a privilege, if you fulfill the obligations of the privileges that you've been given. 
in the spiritual realm, then you get some rights. But the seven sacraments are not privileges. They never had been. They never had been. It is a privilege to be either a monk or a nun. If you are unable to become a monk or a nun or a priest, that is a privilege. Marriage is a privilege. Now, even baptism and confirmation are privileges. Now, hold on to your hats, people, because... Um, this needs to be said. Um, baptism and, I'm sorry, let me go back a scotch. Thank you, Mother Mary and Lord Jesus. I said privileges. They are privileges. They're not rights. What I mean by that is, if a person becomes Catholic or tries to become Catholic, baptism, true Catholic, baptism and, and uh, confirmation, not out of not out of love for God or His Blessed Mother, but because of a certain advantage that they may gain by becoming Catholic, um. They're wrong. Okay? Just like just like anything else, it is not a right. It's a privilege granted to you by God. And I've heard um I have an example of what I just talked about. There was a certain YouTuber Granted, it was the Vatican II church. He didn't know the difference because he's atheist. And the reason I know the particulars of this case, I had listened to a lot of his content. He had no intention on you know, believing in God. He thinks it's a fairy tale. He thinks, well, I think at the last time I listened to him, he thinks that God is a useful concept in the sense that it gets people to reform themselves. But as far as God actually existing, he didn't believe in that. So, but he had, uh, he has a young daughter and he wanted to send her to a great school. And, the, you know, where he's at, the best schools were Vatican II Catholic. Now, where he's at, he's not an American. I don't know how it is where he's at. I can tell you, as an American, the American Catholic schools are only slightly better than your average public school. Now, obviously, it depends on the Catholic school, just like it depends on the public school here in America how bad it is. But in America, if you send your kid to a Catholic school, you're literally playing Russian roulette. In some cases, 
um, I would say that there are public schools that are actually better than some Catholic schools that are out there. But I digress. But he he was gonna this this Vatican II school that he wanted to send his daughter to. Their requirement was that she had to become Vatican II Catholic. And he he was talking about it with his audience. And he basically stated publicly, yeah, I think that the whole God thing is crap. You know, it, it's good for reforming people, but, you know, God doesn't really exist and blah, 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 blah. But I want to send my daughter to this Catholic school so she gets a good education. And, of course, his audience being worldlings was like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, great idea. Now, me, myself, I was pagan at the time, and I'm thinking, you're a seriously messed up individual. And I mean seriously, because you're going to take advantage of somebody else's goodwill to, set, to give yourself an advantage and your family, by extension, under false pretenses. You are no better than the politicians that inhabit the halls of power. But I'm not going to get in that particular end. But this is what I'm talking about. He was willing to pretend to believe in God in order, and that even in the Vatican II sect, because he's an atheist, he would have had to get baptized and confirmed. So under false pretenses, he was willing to get baptized and confirmed in order to send his daughter to this very nice Vatican II school. I want to add a quick uh, end note on that story. He ended up not joining the Vatican II Church because the Vatican II Church, being a church of a fake church, was infested with politics. And in his case, it was it's infested with left-wing politics. So he was like, oh, they're a bunch of lefties. I'm not sending my daughter there. I'll, I'll find a Protestant school. So once again, God's divine providence. Anyhow, so baptism and confirmation in and of themselves is a privilege. And on a natural level, this is very easily explained. If you join an organization, I don't care if it's the military, I don't care if it's a high-paying job, whatever it is. If you're just joining to um, under false pretenses, in the case of the military, you go to hell on earth, which is known as the military prison in Leavenworth, Kansas. In the case of a, of a job, if you, and by the way, even, and I've made mention of this, even in the nickel and dime jobs I've worked at, service work, 
if you join those jobs under false pretenses to rip off the store, there are legal consequences, even for the nickel and dime stores, uh, jobs, the service jobs. There are consequences. So, that's why I say baptism and confirmation are privileges with attending duties. Now, joining, and I, I just want to make this clear. I'm going to, I'm going to close out because once again, I'm, I'm getting close to two hours. There's a difference for under false pretenses, joining the true Catholic Church and maybe being agnostic or atheist, an honest agnostic and atheist. And when I say honest, I'm not talking about their motivations for their lack of belief. I'm talking about honest in the sense that you're, you're atheistic or you're atheist and you're thinking, well, maybe God does exist Maybe the Sedvacantist church is God's true church. I'll get baptized and confirmed and see where it takes me. To me, that is honesty. To me, that's the difference. You know, to me, false pretenses is to try to get rights and privileges that you're unwilling from the get-go to um to follow the duties that come with those rights and privileges anyway this one ran along too but I'm much more happier with this one so if you've given me almost two hours of your time, I do appreciate it. I really do. I hope and pray that somebody or anybody gets uh, something um, useful out of this. I pray for everyone. And I would like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. I'm going to add this though. Um, not only do you have to accept the graces that are given to you, you have to be able to recognize a grace when it is given to you in order to accept it. And that all ties into your free will. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time and patience. God bless you. A very, very strong and hearty God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
Please, 